My name is Neil Canavan, Scientific Advisor to the Salbury Trout Group, and this is the latest edition of Name Tag, a podcast series that introduces healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the healthcare sector forward. Today I'm speaking with Zachary Hornby. He is the President and CEO of Boundless Bio. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Neil. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. First things first, uh, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with Boundless Bio, Zach, let's start with an elevator pitch, Six, 60 seconds or less. How long have you guys been in business? Where's your headquarters? And give me an idea of what you do there. Sure. Boundless Bio is a San Diego-based private biotechnology company that's been um, in operations for just over one year. And we position ourselves as a next generation precision oncology company that is trying to help patients with gene amplification driven cancers and specifically by exploring and interrogating the biology of extra chromosomal DNA, which are units of DNA that reside in the nucleus of the cell but are physically distinct from chromosomes and adhere to a different set of rules than chromosomal DNA and give rise to the pathogenesis of many types of cancer. All right, now um, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot of basic science has gone into the formulation of this company and we will get to that in just a moment. But in keeping with the mission of NameTag, uh, this is to introduce the listeners to the senior management. So let's talk a bit about you. I'm gonna start first with your education. Uh, you were at Stanford University and got a BS in biology and a master's in neurology. And that is circa 2001. And then at Harvard Business School, you earned your MBA and this is 2006. Now there's obviously a bit of a gap in there, meaning that from 2001, right after uh, you uh, got your master's, you left the bench and you went to some, a company called Transcari Transcariotic Therapeutics where you were BD Associate, and that lasted for two years. This company is now uh, a part of Shire, as I recall. My first question relative to that is, why leave the bench? When I was an undergraduate, I first thought I wanted to be a physician, and so I took um, all the pre-med classes. But I had a summer internship in a hospital and just decided it wasn't the lifestyle for me. I then spent the next couple of years while an undergrad working in molecular biology, electrophysiology labs. And there I discovered that I loved to plan out the experiments and interpret the results. But the piece that I didn't love was the manual labor in between. <laughs> so prepping slides, cells, pipetting, you and know, that actually took a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, so it was that realization that um, had me think about how can I be exposed to science and think about science, but without having to physically perform the experiments. And that's where I, I first stumbled across the biotechnology industry. Okay. So it seems to me that from there, you not only became interested in uh, designing the experiments, as you say, as perhaps going to sort of designing the business of designing experiments, because your next, uh, your next role was at LEK Consulting, which is very well known with this, in this sector. You were there for a year. And then you really wanted to dive into the business. You left there and went to Harvard to get your MBA. Um, and did LEK uh, pick up that tab or was that on you? 
LEK was willing to pick up that tab had I come back to LEK post-business school, but I elected to go back into um, the biotech industry, so I covered my education myself. Okay, so needing a great deal of money, you then went to Neurocrine Biosciences in 2006, and you were there for two years. You were a senior project manager there. Uh, and then a, uh, the next step is a company I've definitely heard of and wrote about uh, oh, circa 2006. Uh, it, you were there in 2008, and that would be Halozyme. You were there for a couple of years. And there you establish a relationship with someone who means a, a good deal to you now in the business world. And that would be the CEO of Halozyme at that time was Jonathan Lim. Uh, what role is he playing in your businesses these days? Right, so Jonathan, as you mentioned, was the CEO when I was at Halozyme, and I was a kind of a mid-level business development executive. And I left Halozyme, joined Fate Therapeutics. Meanwhile, Jonathan established his own venture capital fund, a small family office called City Hill Ventures. And as he got that fund off the ground, I wanted to learn about venture capital so I offered to help him uh, just pro bono. And he eventually made me an operating partner in his fund. And together um, we formed some companies out of the fund and he has continued to invest in things I've been involved with and is now a co-lead investor in my current company and the chairman of the board. Was this your first experience in your uh, climb up the corporate ladder with investors? With trying, with trying to raise capital? My first experience with investors when I was at Ignita, I initially served as chief financial officer there, uh, worked with Jonathan to take that company public and raise the first $120 million of capital. So I got good investor exposure there and now continue to gain more so here at Boundless. Okay, um, we jumped a little bit ahead. Uh, from Halozyme, you did go to Faith Therapeutics, as you said. Uh, for those who listeners who don't know, this is a cell therapy company currently uh, developing a whole line of uh, allergenic, allergenic products, NK cells and T cells. Um, they're doing quite well. You were a senior director at VD there. Uh, and then ever restless, you went to Ignita, as you just mentioned, as a CFO and COO. And uh, to, my, to my reading, this is where you got your first really solid home run. And wow, it was the drug called and Trectinib. Could you tell me a bit about that journey? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, we started Ignita out of um, the City Hill Ventures Fund. I joined as employee number two when we had $500,000 in total financing into the company. But it was a phenomenal six-year ride. Um, we took the company public a year after I joined in late 2013. We in-licensed an early clinical stage molecule that we found um, within a small Italian company who didn't have the resources to develop the molecule. Well, we brought it into our shop and we repositioned it and used um, genomics and precision medicine to find the best application for the molecule. And over the next four to five years, we established clinical proof of concept and ultimately achieved uh, global approvals for multiple different indications, including one of the first ever genomically defined tumor indications. That becomes extremely relevant to your next opportunity, which is boundless. But first, let me ask you, um, 
the company was bought out by Roche. Was there not an opportunity to stay with that asset? Or, or were you forced out or you decided to move on? There was an opportunity. Um, so initially, um, Dan O'Day, who's now CEO at Gilead, was the champion of that acquisition. And he asked whether I wanted to stay on long-term with the asset at Roche. I didn't feel that um, I was the right phenotype for a larger company like Roche Genentech. So I offered to stay on for about a year to oversee the integration and help with the transition of the asset um, into the good hands of the team there at Roche Genentech. And so that was a really fun year for me, very eye-opening. I learned a lot about how larger companies operate, but I think it also did reinforce that I'm probably better suited to the smaller company environment. Right, the more, or more, or more nimble operation, if you will. Um, so with Boundless, um, who pitched who? How did this happen? Yeah, so the way that Boundless came together, there was some really exciting science coming out of um, San Diego, specifically the lab um, of a gentleman named Dr. Paul Michel at UCSD. And he, along with one of his friends, another prominent scientist here in San Diego, Ben Cravat, um, they approached Arch Ventures in late 2018 with some of the scientific work that Paul was working on. And Arch decided to seed a company. They put $5 million into what's now Boundless Bio in late 2018 and began to pull together a business plan and start the process to license in some intellectual property from UCSD. Meanwhile, Jonathan Lim, who we discussed earlier, after Ignita had been acquired by Roche, Jonathan joined Arch as a venture partner at the end of 2018. And when he became aware of, of this company that was being incubated within Arch, Boundless, he thought it was really interesting science and thought he could add value. So he um, volunteered to become chairman of the board of Boundless to help it establish operations. And so in early 2019, he recruited me in, um, and I thought it was a fantastic opportunity to reunite with Jonathan, work on some really exciting science, and have the strong financial backing of a premier investor like Arch Ventures. And you get to be in charge, CEO and president, so there is that. It helps a lot. There is. Um, now let's go ahead, go ahead and drill down a little bit more on the exosomal DNA and why one would want to base an entire company on this concept. You touched briefly on uh, the idea of gene-specific uh, approaches. Uh, the first thing that jumps into my mind is LOXO and, and the track fusions. So now you have the possibility of, of quote, tissue agnostic, where it could be as long as, as you have the fusion, it could be in whatever tumor type. Are we leaning towards that sort of interest? Um, well, just flesh out the idea for me. Why is this so appealing? Right. So you're correct that we at Ignita and Loxo um, had two of the first three um, ever drugs approved with tissue agnostic indications. One of the learnings that we had at Ignita, and I think it's shared across the industry, is that precision oncology is a very powerful therapeutic approach under most um, oncogenic circumstances, specifically gene fusions or activating point mutations. But there's one very big segment of the cancer population that has not responded well to 
uh, precision medicine, and that is the gene-amplified tumors. Um, so historically, gene-amplification-driven tumors have proven resistant to targeted therapies as well as to immunotherapies. And the science that has been pioneered by Dr. Paul Michel and his colleagues helps explain why that is. They made uh, the foundational observation that gene amplifications frequently do not occur in the expected chromosomal location of DNA, but instead occur on this extra chromosomal DNA or ECDNA, which are physically distinct units of DNA that behave according to a different set of properties. And they are as stable as regular chromosomal DNA? They're stable. However, the cells have the ability to alter the copy number um, through the cellular division process, unlike chromosomes, which get evenly divided into daughter cells during division, these circles of ECDNA get asymmetrically divided, meaning that the copy number can be higher or lower in um, any given daughter cell. And what that means is it's a mechanism for a cell to acquire genomic variability that allows the cell to adapt to different circumstances, including therapeutic pressure. And so it explains one of the primary mechanisms by which cells can adapt around um, targeted therapies. Now, traditionally, when I think about an issue like this, um, overexpression comes first to mind. So, I mean, this is the basis for many, many cancer drugs. Something's being overexpressed. You shut down the expression at the receptor level, or sometimes you can do it at the transcription level. Where are your, where, what is your thinking of how to target this issue? Now that you have yeah, this is the most important question because this elucidates what makes Boundless Bio different than first-generation precision oncology companies. So you're correct that historically the approach is that when there's an overactivated protein, you directly inhibit that protein, like EGFR, ALK, TREK, ROS, MET. Um, but when that doesn't work, when that approach doesn't work, which it hasn't worked for EGFR amplifications, MET amplifications, FGFR amplifications, then a different approach is required. And because we've found that these amplifications are occurring on ECDNA, we are instead attacking the biological processes that allow ECDNA to form, to replicate, and to transcribe. And so this represents a completely orthogonal therapeutic approach to the typical precision medicine. So can you clarify that just a bit for me you, so that the target would be not transcription factors, but regulatory elements? Um, help me here. It could be, it could be um, transcriptional machinery, replication machinery, okay. DNA damage machinery, things that are responsible for maintaining the homeostasis and proper function of the ECDNA. Okay. Now, at this point, there, um, this is still a discovery engine. Uh, we, we haven't, we're not talking about a lead compound or anything. Yeah, are you taking, it seems to me this would be amenable to this very similar approach as Loxo did, where not only did they come up with the drug, they came up with a diagnostic, which was extremely attractive to investors and to the FDA. Uh, it, it seems to me you would be able to do roughly the same, yes? 
Yes, in fact, we incorporated that into the design of the company from the outset. So that's also something we had done at Ignita. We had developed um, a companion diagnostic that accompanied our program. And so um, when we established the operations of Boundless Bio, I hired in our former head of diagnostics from Ignita, okay. and he's now our chief technology officer here at Boundless. And so all of the drug discovery efforts within Boundless go hand in hand with a patient selection effort. Now, for a company that has um, some considerable basic science, and I encourage anyone to reach out to, uh, <laughs> to PubMed for Dr. Michelle's uh, papers on this, they're really quite good. Um, but there, as I said, there's no drug as, as yet. But last year, almost roughly this time, you raised $47 million in a Series A. So people are definitely paying attention. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, in that Series A, who led that round? And how have you been using proceeds in that year? Yes, the Series A was co-led by Arch Ventures and Jonathan Lim's fund, City Hill Ventures. And there was also participation by Vertex Ventures, Alexandria Venture Investments, Tavistock, and GT Healthcare. We've been deploying those funds to build out a platform capability for interrogating this ECDNA biology and discovering and validating novel oncotargets. And in parallel, we have selected three targets that we've been working on over the past year, and we've initiated drug discovery efforts against those targets, um, including high-throughput small molecule screens, and now uh, medicinal chemistry and optimization. Are you getting uh, queries uh, from outside the company to, could you, you know, look at our molecule within your, your data set? We haven't received that type of query yet, but we have received um, considerable interest from pharma because I think there is a recognition that this is a hot new emerging area of cancer biology. So there's certainly interest in learning more about the biology, the clinical implications of the biology, and our approach to drugging it. Are you open to research partnerships in that regard? We would be open to research partnerships probably next year. We want to um, take the balance of this year to continue uh, building out and solidifying the platform and attempting to achieve validation of the initial targets we reveal. And I think we'll probably be well poised for a research partnership next year. Okay, so um, that may have anticipated my next question, uh, which is current events. Uh, the reason we're speaking today is you're going to be part of a uh, private company showcase on August 10th. Obviously, you will be virtually in front of investors. Uh, what can you tell them about your nearest term catalyst? And what are you going to be your funding needs that you'd like to discuss on the 10th? Right. So the near-term catalyst over the remainder of this year is validating um, some of the targets that have been revealed by our platform. And I think in doing that, we would prove that this platform represents an engine for continuous new oncotarget discovery. And then in parallel, attempting to achieve in vivo proof of concept with some of the initial targets that we've nominated, which represent our first shots on goal. So there's a, there's a potential opportunity that we can achieve proof of concept of a first-in-class target by end of this year. 
uh, it would be our intention to raise a Series B in the first half of next year, and then those funds would be deployed to continuing to leverage the platform to advance additional targets into drug discovery. And if our um, first programs are successful, then it would be taking those into the clinic. Okay. And then finally, more of a long-term question. Uh, you've been involved with a lot of different companies, a lot of different capacities. Um, are, is the company, is Boundless in for the long term or to develop the asset to be bought out or uh, are you even thinking in those terms yet? Do you want to take it to the medicine cabinet? Right. I believe that when you form a biotech company, you always have to be in it for the long term because you want to control your destiny. So I've never, I've, I've never been a part of a company that was being built to be bought. Um, so I think it's just in my own you know, DNA, pardon the pun, to mm -hmm. build the company to control our own destiny. If at some point um, what we built is so attractive to someone else, then you know we would have a discussion about what that means for all of our stakeholders. But as of right now, we intend to build this thing for the um, foreseeable future. Well, Zach, I think that's a fine end point right there. Uh, I greatly appreciate the chance to talk to you today and to learn a, bit, a little bit about your technology and to uh, reminisce about a few people that we both know. So uh, good luck on the 10th, and perhaps I'll get to see you in San Diego someday. <laughs> Sounds great, Neil. Thanks a lot for the interview, and, and I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Right. Perfect.